but after that first sermon, it's kind of hard to follow a sermon like that. So I don't really look at this as a preaching so much as a teaching. And uh, obviously, uh, great preachers of the past, they, they preach themselves first. I think about John Calvin's quote about uh, better if he didn't preach to himself to fall up the stairs and break his neck. Uh, I don't take this lightly. Uh, it's a tremendous opportunity, and I, I really appreciate people, uh, you guys staying around. I honestly thought there might be like five people here, so I'm kind of nervous. It's, it's exciting, but it's ner- you know, nerve-wracking as well. Uh, we'll read the psalm first, if you don't mind standing, guys, for the reading of God's word, and then we'll go into prayer. So Psalm 112. start in verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. So ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God, a great and powerful and sovereign God. We offer you praise, Lord. We love you. You are a very strength. You are a fortress, a mighty fortress. Uh, God, let let this humble teaching uh, fall on receptive ears. May you empower uh, the teacher here to expound on your word, to give you the glory, and to, to sit or take a, a step back. Lord, get, my, get out of my own way and honor you and glorify you and serve you uh, as you rightly deserve to be served. We praise you, Lord. We love you again. Um, and may this uh, honor you. And, uh, may it hear on receptive ears. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord. We ask all these things in your blessed Son's name, amen. So Eric, who did a really, really good job on the last psalm, I have to give him credit. I hope I can uh, keep in step with him. Uh, Basically, Psalm 112 picks up immediately after 111 uh, lets off there. So the the last verse of 111 is on the fear of the Lord, and the bulk of this teaching today will be on the fear of the Lord something we all need to grow in and ask God's help with. Uh, the last verse of 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we know that sounds really familiar. That's almost on par with Proverbs 1.7. Uh, the second part of that verse, a good understanding, have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. And I love the fact uh, 111 and 112 are basically, they, they're linked together. They're in essence linked together in the canon. 112, like 111, is an alphabetic acrostic, which means both of these psalms have 22 lines each. Um, 
each line beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the Psalms 111 and 118 are considered Hallel songs, which I, diving into this study, I did not know that. Uh, they were basically sung at the Passover feast. It is quite good that 111, 112, and 113 all begin with praise, a hallelujah to our holy and majestic heavenly Father. Uh, where 111, again, Eric teaching and preaching that, it, it focused on the works and ways and goodness of God. 112 will focus on the man of God, the man who fears and loves and obeys God. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this strong connection between these two psalms, he says, it bears the same relation to the proceeding which the moon does to the sun. For while the first declares the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in men born from above. That man has a way with words. Um, 112 is also a wisdom psalm. And obviously, the, again, these two are meant to run together. I just hope I can stay in, in step with Eric on his teaching and to study this psalm. Uh, we'll start in verse 1 again, uh, beginning with praise. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And you notice right away, praise to God, shouting praise. It sets the tone right away in this psalm. Um, what's very illuminating and important to note here is all this. although this psalm is basically describing the character of the God-fearing man, it is ultimately God who is praised. Uh, this is not by accident. Praise is not going um, to the godly man. It's going to the godly man's God. Um, and this man is described in these verses, exhibiting these traits only because of the grace of God. I would only, I mean, to a man and woman here, we're all here by the grace of God. Um, if you'd look back three years ago, three and a half years ago, prior to the Lord appearing, I mean, me standing here is just a testament to that. You remember the Apostle Paul uh, stating in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And you notice uh, Paul, a very humble man, um, broken and, and contrite um, and super humble, giving all the credit to God there. Again, in Philippians 2, um, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This godly man in his psalm is not godly by his own strength, but only by the grace of God, by working in him that which is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. So again, how blessed is the man? We all remember going back. Uh, how far, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you guys awake, but how far back in the psalms do we go on the how blessed is the man? Uh, we go all the way back to the beginning of the Psalter. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Here's the key is that that God-fearing man delights in the law of the Lord, um, and in his law he meditates day and night. Turn with me here uh, briefly to Deuteronomy 10, if you have your Bibles open, and I want to read two, two verses here in Deuteronomy 10, beginning in 12 and, and ending in 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good so obviously the blessings are in fearing the Lord submitting to him uh, obeying him so you have this how blessed theme multiple times throughout the Psalms 
In the Hebrew, this is a very interesting point. In the Hebrew, is actually plural, the blessednesses or happinesses. Uh, the point is in the Hebrew, when you see a word like that, it should be singular and in essence magnifies it, uh, leading to a joy that transcends the godly man's circumstances. John Murray um, once wrote, he said, the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness. So we understand the fear of the Lord obviously is a major theme in both Testaments. It's not just an Old Testament idea, and I'm going to piggyback on Ed with the false teaching. It's not just an Old Testament idea that we forget in the new. Um, there's some very misled leaders in Christian circles these days that, that and I'll, I'll name one, um, Andy Stanley, who says basically forget the Old Testament. I know John MacArthur rightly rebuked him and said, um, I think Andy needs to dust off his Old Testament. If you think about what Christ said himself in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You think about Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So again, these blessings will flow to the God-fearing man. Uh, so many promises in God's word, and especially in the Psalms, on the God-fearing believer. Again, the opening psalm describing the man who loves his word so much that he meditates on it day and night. Um, in the body of hope, do we, do we take God and take his word and let it uh, saturate us? I think of what uh, Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan about if you cut him open, he would bleed biblium. The man was a walking Bible. I mean, look at the blessings that resulted from that. He was locked up for 12 years preaching the gospel. And one of the most uh, fearless men, only by God's grace, was he able to persevere in prison. He had young kids. He had a, uh, his youngest was, uh, I believe she was a uh, blind. And this man said, "I would rather have I, uh, I would rather have moss grow over my eyes than disobey God." Uh, we could take a great. Uh, he's just a great example to follow. Is John Bunyan? So the man who fears God, not only loves his word, but submits to it. Um, this word fear, I do want to address this um, and expound on it a bit. Obviously, it's a theme in the very first psalm, and it's crucial to understanding the entire Bible. If you see in Psalm 1, um, beginning in verse 6, the opposite of the man who does not fear is uh, the wicked. And it says, starting in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And there's a great overlap between the last verse in our psalm here today, along with those three verses in the first psalm. Um, and the way of the wicked will perish. So Psalm 112 and the first psalm make it clear. God makes it clear there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who fear God, and there's the fool, uh, the wicked. There's no third way. There's... One or two ways, and I know Ed addressed this uh, in the first sermon so well. His way or the way of the wicked? And God's great design and his perfect order of the universe, there's a blessing on the man who delights in his word, and there are curses and sorrows and multiplied judgment on those who reject it. What shall we say to these things? There are eternal consequences on the path we take. Um, I have been in, I've been in Proverbs for a long time, daily, I would say through the first nine chapters, it's all about the fear of the Lord. And there's such blessing in those verses, um, in, that, in that first nine chapters. Going back to Proverbs 1.7, we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And again, there it is. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
and I would encourage, we've got a, quite a bit of youth in here, um, and not just to the youth, but any, any believer here to make the Proverbs and obviously God's word in greater detail, a, a daily reading, asking God for understanding and wisdom and enlightenment to renew your minds in his word. This is a prayer he is delighted to answer. Um, just thinking of personal growth, I mean, a lot of it is correction. Um, but Phil and I talked yesterday about sometimes the God will, or sometimes God will, um, you, you can't walk by feelings, you have to walk by faith, and, and he'll correct you in a moment when you kind of stumble and fall, but it's all, the spirit is so gentle and so loving. I think of the, the old saints, they had a great grasp of the spirit of God and, and a consensus agreed. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear him, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Um, and we'll get to that later in this, in this uh, psalm. It talks about that in verse 7 and 8, I believe. Um, William Gurnall, a great Puritan, he said very astutely, he said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. Um, and let's once again take a look at this definition of fear of the Lord which I think it, it, in modern circles it gets glossed over. It's, it's not addressed like it should be, rightly. Um, I think about what R.C. Sproul explained over the years many times. He says it's very important for a theologian to make distinctions. The righteous man and the wicked man do not share the same outlook in life. Again, only two types of people in this world, uh, those that fear God and the blessed man here in verse 1 and the wicked fool. This unsaved sinner, this wicked man, for him, the fear of God re represents abject terror, God being a threat to his well-being. Again, many people these days take God for granted, and that, I guess that's my point here is that, and, and as Ed preached in the first sermon, they profess to know God and yet don't understand his perfections, uh, his holiness, his, his infinity. Um, if you haven't read Spoil's book on this topic, it's... Uh, it's wonderful. It's really good for it, particularly a new believer, but anybody on this path needs to read Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Um, a greater grasp of his holiness will without a doubt impact the way you live your Christian lives. And obviously we think of several men in the Bible. I'll give you a few examples of their amazing encounters with the holy God. Um, obviously we think of Isaiah 6 when the prophet saw God's holiness. It reminded him rather pointedly of his own unworthiness, uh, which warranted judgment great passage in, P, uh, sorry, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 5, I'll read this, but Peter in Luke 5, beginning in verse 4, when he, Christ, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. Think about that. For amazement had seized him. We, we use the word awesome so much now that it, it doesn't give God glory. I mean, obviously God in the true sense of the word is an awesome God. And even in, in the past, the old reformers, um, they like to refer to it as an awful God, which means full of awe. Um, and I think this is what we see here in this passage. 
This was a tremendous manifestation of the power of God to deliver literally a hull of fish that could not sink one but two boats. And um, I know there's some fishermen in here. Imagine that, that, that there was such a hull of fish after getting, you know, not getting anything. And Peter saw the glory of God in a completely new light, and it caused fear and wonder in him. Um, a deeper understanding of the holiness of God, who he is that we worship, this has to be pivotal in our faith, our walk, our Christian lives. I'll piggyback on Ed's message. Those not reconciled to God, those not in Christ, this has to be absolutely terrifying. If you truly consider God's character and his holiness, his hatred of sin, which is absolute, this is serious stuff, brethren. Um, I see it in my daily walk, um, whether engaging with friends outside of faith. I, I wouldn't call them friends more than acquaintances, but uh, in, in the day-to-day, -day, you see this quite often. And even in I'm sure we see it in our own family sometimes. Um, people can go through life not thinking these deeper things of God to go through life cynically or half-heartedly going through the motions without a care in the world regarding these things of God, his word, his son. We very plainly know that these people have not had the fear of the Lord fall upon them. If they had, if they knew the reality of it, they would be horrified. And we, we know that great verse in Hebrews 10, that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, Bunyan here, uh, very wisely. Though there is not always grace where there is the fear of hell, yet to be sure there is no grace where there is no fear of God. Um, thankfully, this psalm, Psalm 112, is speaking of a fear of the Lord for the saved believer, and that's, that's the good news for the believer, uh, the believer in Jesus Christ. As we work through the rest of the psalm, it will shine brightly in our minds and hearts, I pray true regenerated by the Holy Spirit believer in Jesus Christ fears and loves God and even this is this is really important guys one of the few things I will circle in this message is that even though we are reconciled to God fully by the shed blood and the perfect righteousness of our Lord Jesus even though we understand that we're on a path that leads to heaven that there is eternal blessing waiting for us that we are secure in our salvation no one can snatch us out of our hand in John 10 it says that uh, even though we understand all of that, that does not make us careless or indifferent as we walk this walk of faith. It impacts us differently. It should produce a different kind of fear in our hearts and our minds. If you take away anything from this humble attempt today at preaching and teaching, I pray it is this, that the, these sentences prior to this and also this, this, this fear of God, it's a, it's a wholehearted life. It's not just a reverent awe. It's a, it's a heart given to him loving, humble worship that you sacrificially give to God in return for his mercy and saving grace. And I know you guys are, are great um, Bible-believing Christians here. There were three verses that immediately I thought of. Um, if you would turn with me to Romans 12, if you have your Bibles available. In the first verse in Romans 12, uh, we'll read the first two, actually. Paul had just gone through the, mer the mercies of God and in the great bulk of this letter. And he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, when I came to faith, that was one of the first verses that not only stood out to me, but I had to learn that verse word for word. And I was saved in King James, and 
I learned it in the King James. It'd probably be hard for me to recall that now, but um, he laid out all of these wonderful mercies in those first 11 chapters in Romans. And I love how John MacArthur here comments on this first verse of chapter 12. He says, for those in Christ, the only acceptable worship is to offer themselves completely to the Lord. And that's, your, your life is sacrificial. You're no longer your own. You're no longer self-gratifying or self-pleasing. Uh, we battle the flesh, obviously. You know, you go through Romans 6 and 7, you know it's a battle. You're never going to be sinless in this world, but it's a, it's a pursuit of righteousness, and it's a direction. It's a heart direction, not a perfection, but a direction. And going back to what Ed said about the, you know, living that life of repentance, I, I think of that often. It's like, Lord, keep a short leash on me. I know who I am without the Lord. And um, George Whitfield said, a man left himself is, is half beast, half devil. Um, if I, obviously all by the grace of God, but if I didn't have the word of God and uh, prayer and, uh, you know, what's really encouraging is the saints, the brethren, especially in our Bible studies or the men or meeting with Ed or whomever. Um, iron sharpens iron. And as for the women, too, I know the women ha have a wonderful Bible study, and they are tightly knit because of that. Um, I do urge you, brethren, here uh, today that this letter to the Romans, it's one thing to read a chapter at a time or even verses at a time, but maybe a few times a year, um, set aside time to read the entire letter in one sitting. Such a blessed letter with so much spiritual wisdom, insight, and understanding. So again, regarding um, what we just discussed, that love, that that definition of fear of God for me, um, and I think for most here would say that it's a loving, humble, sacrificial worship to God. Now we'll, we'll stay in Romans briefly here and go to Romans six thirteen, and I'll read the ESV because I love um, how he word or how it was translated here. It says. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Um, every saved sinner here has been brought from death to life. Have we truly pondered and meditated on this? Um, we'll turn to 2 Corinthians 5.15 briefly, and, and I think Ed mentioned uh, he was, he was all over it this morning with the, the great scripture, but 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he, being Christ, died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Um, so again, we understand the fear of the Lord leads to living for him more and more as you grow in sanctification. And I think you could sum it up, um, John the Baptist, obviously, Summed it up in one verse, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. God wants all of our heart, not half of it, or 80% or 90%. Um, I think of a verse in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 23. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. God wants all of you. Utter submission to the Lord will lead to sheer joy blessednesses, if you will. This fear of the Lord is the only way to true Christian joy. And who doesn't here want to experience this joy? Um, we, we greatly admire Steve Lawson. He, this acronym has stuck with me to this day on joy. It's when we put Jesus on top of everything else. 
So <clears throat> joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. And we learned, I, I beat the Bella Vista Bible study up pretty good, and we, we revisited humility quite a bit, but we stayed in Philippians 2 about doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. Um, Christ himself is one of the greatest passages of um, the Gospel of John. I love this. It's in John 15, 10, and 11. He says, he's talking to his apostles here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. full fullness of joy. Do we, not, do we not all in the body here hope for that joy, hope and pray for that joy? How blessed is this passage? And obviously the fear of the Lord for the believer is not condemnation. It is blessing. It is eternal life in heaven. Uh, the wicked man, as we'll get to, is under judgment and condemnation. We're, we're probably going to stay camped out in these first few verses. I apologize. I will I'll keep my eye on the clock. We'll get to the second part of this first verse, and it is, again, who greatly delights in his commandments. That man who fears God delights in his word. And if you remember Psalm 111, um, that word delight is in verse 2. So Psalm I'm sorry, Psalm 111, verse 2, Greater the works of the Lord, they are studied by all who delight in them. Derek Kidner, in a great commentary on this, he's a, he's a modern commentator. He says, To this man, God's word is as fascinating as are his works to the naturalist. And the term used for his commandments implies that his interest is practical. What grips him is God's will and call. And again, we'll go back to Psalm 1 on that blessed man who cherishes God's word it is his very life you think about a man after God's own heart he meditates on God's word day and night um, it is a rare man who delights and meditates and studies and in turn submits to God's word like that you think of some of these great men in the past that we look up to they were only great it, it was only them living for the Lord so you know selling out for God submitting themselves to God that they even did anything and it was all for God's glory these men were oaks of righteousness but all by his grace and obviously all praise goes to him um, we should pray daily for a greater love for his word and for the Lord's quickening grace I believe it was Luther that said um, what God requires God provides and this is not a walk that you can make on your own he has to be there every step of the way Again, in John 15, about abiding in Christ, he, he is the vine. We're only branches. You can't do anything without abiding in him. And so many different uh, passages of Scripture always think of 1 John 2, 6. If you say you abide in him, you have to walk as Christ walked. And this, um, to, the, to the unregenerate or to the wicked, it, it probably comes off as legalism, but Christ said himself in the gospel, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The child of God who loves God desires to do his will on earth, and he or she is a wise, wise child who has good understanding as described in that last verse of 111. Not only ponders the works of God with great delight, but he applies it with equal delight to know God's will. And if you're, if you're taking notes, we were talking about Psalm 119. Uh, it's, it's a blessing. That is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, but 
there's five passages in that about knowing or delighting in to know God's will. And it's uh, verses 24, 77, 92, 143, and 174. You know, as a new believer, um, I'm always interested. I, I love hearing testimonies. I have to give Joe Watkins. I'm putting him on the spot right here. There have been great testimonies in this since we've had this men's group uh, breakfast, but by far, that was, to me, that was just the best because of all the things that they told. It gave, it gave all glory to God. And this man, Joe Watkins, he, he hands me this letter yesterday. I think he knew to publicly speak today I needed to read this letter and not just be overwhelmed with sobbing and crying. But um, uh, I, would, I would, if you can find the time to ask Joe Watkins about his testimony, and I, want, I know he's a busy man, so please respect that. But I, I give him uh, credit here where credit is due. It was, it was God exalting, and uh, the Lord delivered him as he delivered me out of many things <clears throat> anyway when I hear testimonies of great it's great interest personally to see how that born-again believer describes the Bible that's the first thing I was the word living um, at the new birth did they have a greater understanding of the love of the word is Christ precious to them and I pray here at hope we're united in these core values these are marks of salvation um, it is the mark of the Holy Spirit residing in you that the Holy Spirit without fail produces a love for the Word of God. And we can go through, I believe, in, in 1 John, many marks of, of the new birth. But it's obviously a, a love for the Word of God, a belief in the Word of God that is right and true and sufficient and inerrant. And obviously another great sign of assurance is what you want to be with God's people, and here we are today. Uh, how great a day is this? Um, I think of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I'll give you just a brief uh, testimony here. I was saved during COVID. <laughs> during the lockdowns. And uh, I think about how God used secular things. I mean, it went from like a podcast that was about fitness, and they mentioned a book by a guy named, uh, an old writer named James Allen, who wrote a book uh, about, about a proverb, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that led me to, um, obviously, I was buying little books on Amazon, and it would say, well, you need to read this, and you need to read that. And I'm like, okay, this is all good stuff, but I did revisit that um, James Allen book, As a Man Thinketh, so is he, because I love the, the, the deal with the mind and the heart, he, I believe he grew up in a believing family, uh, but he was not a Christian. But this book led me to buy other books, and, and the next thing you know, I'm reading Andrew Murray on the parable of the vine. And I mean, within weeks, um, salvation came. I, t I took it literally, quite literally. I was in a prayer closet. And uh, broken in sin, and as Joe explained yesterday, crying out to God, save me. I cannot save myself. And this is a guy who grew up in a, in a church, in a, in a Methodist church, which I know they've gone off the rails lately, but uh, my mom is a church secretary, and there were times when the scripture did uh, come alive, if you will. But uh, I professed Christ for so long. I was saved when I was 47, and I lived like a devil. I mean, I wasn't out committing crimes, but 
I had disobeyed and ran from God. And it wasn't until 2020, um, during COVID of all things, that God used that to open my heart and my eyes to his truth. So again, um, this word came alive to me. And I'll, I mean, I, I, can, I can't pinpoint the day. I know I've got probably prayer journals that I know a near time or uh, date that it was. But when salvation came, I just knew immediately something was different. I got up that over a weekend and like, man, the word has come alive. And uh, Andrew Murray in his book, The Parable of the Vine, it led me to John 15. Um, I was reading in John quite a bit. And obviously a, lo a lot of people, uh, new believers especially, are instructed to read John. And I, I would definitely uh, start there if you're not in Christ to begin the Gospel of John. But the word again, it came alive. I couldn't get enough. Um, it truly did consume me there for a time. So whether reading the word or hearing sermons or reading books about the word or even Christian biographies, um, this short time since the Lord appeared has been a real blessing. And obviously on this path we have ups and downs, but the Lord is gentle and he will correct you. He is faithful and true and merciful and long-suffering. He is patient and kind. Uh, I'd love to hear an amen. Um, but God, you know, uh, I think about Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, that, that passage in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy. And that's where, again, nothing I did. This is all uh, thanks be to God. Thank God for the butts in the Bible, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said. But, um, we'll get to this about the word of God, about loving the word of God, being a true mark of a God-fearing man. Um, if the word of God is God-breathed and by, inspired by the spirit, and that same spirit now resides in us, changing our very natures, softening our hearts, illuminating our minds, doesn't it make perfect sense that he would want to change our nature in a way that would make us love his word? And not only that, not only loving his word, but fully submit to it more and more. Um, a great contradiction, and, and this is probably going back where, where Ed was in that ballpark is you see false professors, they profess Christ, but yet they don't love his word. And that's a, that's a huge contradiction. That may be the greatest of contradictions. We know people in our very lives that go with this, um, use the word or the phrase easy believism, right? Usually it is that false professor that is the hardest to reach, and we probably all by experience know that. Our prayer should be, though, that we lead by example. And I know I had a conversation back there with those guys about um, the Lord has worked on my heart to be more understanding, and there is a, a, a blessedness in sometimes biting your tongue when you're around someone that professes Christ and yet produces no fruit. Um, that first year or so, I, I, I was called zealot and, and various things lovingly, but it was an eye-opener. So, uh, uh, you know, the Lord will, if you ask for an enlarged heart and a softer heart towards the lost, he's going to answer that prayer. He is happy to do so. Um, I pray that we do lead by example and walk as he walked, as Christ walked, which would be salt and light to the false professor, um, speaking the truth in love. Many who say they are Christians are not true. We, we know this. But the true mark of the Christian will love he will love God's word. He will delight in it and gladly abide in it. It's not a perfection again, but it's a direction to submit to it in obedience out of not only fear of God, but love for him. And this is in response again to the wonderful gift of eternal life. We are glad to obey.
To those who know him, his commandments are not burdensome, as the scripture says. And in, as Christ himself said in the Beatitudes, one of the first Beatitudes I learned, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you, you look back at Isaiah 55 about come and drink. There's, there's false hope in anything and everything but Christ. And again, not made perfect salvation. But, and we'll continue to sin until he brings us home. But thanks be to God, it is heart direction. We're no longer slaves to sin and under the dominion of sin. Praise God for that, that he delivered us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Only in Christ is there liberty. Only in the Lord Jesus Christ is there freedom. His yoke is not burdensome. And what a blessed Savior we have. Those who fear God and delight in his word will be blessed. Again, I keep harping on that. Um, we need to address some of these blessings. And I do need to really quickly, we've, we've been through false teaching. We know what those blessings are not. And obviously the prosperity gospel, we see that permeating, infecting a lot of the parts of the world. Man, Manfield just yesterday, prosperity gospel is big in Africa. And we need to pray for those brothers and sisters down there that uh, men rightly divide the word of truth down there. There are some great brothers in the Lord and sisters down there. And obviously Pastor Ed We've, we've gone through this. We all know that. We've criticized this, this false gospel, and rightly so, for it holds out a promise of earthly blessing as a reason to follow Christ. That's basically self-gratification. I'm going to follow Jesus so I can, you know, live high on the hog. Usually that false gospel will associate a greater blessing in accordance with what you give these false teachers in terms of, their, of your money. And we're definitely not talking about that here. Let's, let's move on to verses 2 and 3 really quick, guys. Beginning in verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Consider this. There's blessing, our blessing, even to the descendants for the man who fears God. One of the Old Testament uh, Psalms commentators, I believe his name was Van Gimmeren, he put it this way. He says, their characters and acts are marked <clears throat> by Godlikeness. And because their way of life shows a concern for God's majesty, glory, and greatness, which we see that back in, in the psalm that Eric talked through, uh, they build up the kingdom of God on earth. Therefore, the Lord rewards them with success in their labors. The fruits of success are put in Old Testament terms, many and blessed descendants, wealth, and honor. They enjoy success granted by the bestowal of God's blessing of riches and honor. And as children share in the blessing of their godly parents, You'll see that in 2 Timothy 1.5 where uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, he praises not only Timothy's mother but his grandmother. I love that. Um, so obviously, descendants will be mighty on earth. Uh, that generation of the upright will be blessed. We also look at 1 Timothy 4.8 where Paul says, bodily discipline is only really of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it's whole, it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This life and the life to come, you'll be blessed in your godlikeness. And we think about what uh, Joe Flahive uh, taught a few Sundays ago in Psalm, I believe it was Psalm 110, about the whole following the heart after God. You begin when you follow heart after God, and you're broken in, in your sin and repenting of sin and wanting to learn God's word and study. His word, you begin to take on certain characteristics. 
And we know that from personal experience. Um, now, this verse does not say every child of a believer will, will be saved. And this, this is a general ob observation, a general pattern. But what it is saying is that there's a greater likelihood of a God-fearing man and wife producing descendants that also fear God. And I have to borrow from Steve Lawson. He used this, this little, uh, it was a, 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 an American educator decided to trace the descendants of two men from, I'd say, I think it was from the 1700s. So they were contemporaries. And obviously, we know about Jonathan Edwards. Um, but there was another man named Max Jukes. So what this man, this educator, studied, he traced the descendants of both Edwards and he traced him, I believe, for five generations and did the same thing with Max Jukes. And you can find this online. It's entitled Jukes Edwards, A Study in Education and Heredity. It's definitely worth taking a look if you find the time. So Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, their legacy to their children includes four points. A love and reverence for God, point number one. A love of family and home life. The value of a Christian education. And I know we have some homeschoolers here, I believe. God bless you for that. Um, I believe it was Vody Bauckham that said, it might, it might have been Paul Washer, about sending, if you send your kids to, to Caesar, they will return. They won't, they won't return the same person. There's 10,000 plus hours of indoctrination. Um, it, it's hard. And I, know, and I know homeschooling is difficult, so um, those that do it, I understand and respect that. The fourth point, the importance of hard work or industry, and this is a great point. Um, when you think about Jonathan Edwards, he was probably, I know Sproul says he's the most foremost American theologian. He was not just a theologian, but he was a pastor, a preacher. Um, here's where that study gets very interesting. This is, this is rather remarkable, and we'll, we'll contrast the, the God-fearing man and the wicked here. Edwards, five generations of descendants include one U.S. Vice President, which was Aaron Burr, one Dean of a law school, one Dean of a medical school, three U.S. Senators, three Governors, three Mayors, 13 College Presidents, and this is back when there were actual College Presidents that feared God, uh, 30 Judges, 60 Doctors, 65 Professors, 75 Military Officers, 80 Public Office Holders, again, God-fearing men, this is not the public office holder of today that we see, this outright wickedness. Uh, 100 lawyers and 100 clergymen. So contrast that with these descendants of Max Jukes. And this is, this is almost horrifying to read. This man's legacy is noticeably different than that of Jonathan Edwards and his family tree. So Jukes' legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of, uh, this is astounding, the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to Max Jukes. He lived in New York at about the same period as Edwards. And the Jukes family originally was studied by a sociologist in 1877. What he discovered is, is quite horrifying. Seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, and I know you don't hear that word, I believe people that lived below the poverty level at that time, and 440 who were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. And of these 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 died prematurely. So think about that. Very, very distinct legacies. Am I right? Um, 
a God-fearing man in Edwards and a man lacking the grace of God. Make no mistake, a godly father or mother spiritually impacts others. A godly coworker, and I think of Beth Hart, a godly coworker spiritually impacts others. A godly brother or sister or son or daughter spiritually impacts others. It's a ripple effect of a life lived for God in submission to and delight in his word. And in another, I, I will lead you back to the King James, one of the first verses I learned. I, I love this because the Lord, we all want to be like Jesus. He says in John 7, verse 38, he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, but from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That speaks volumes. Again, a ripple effect of a life lived for God in submission to and delight in his word. We'll address uh, the wealth and riches passage here in his house. And obviously those that fear God will have a strong Christian work ethic. I think about Kerry Tyler there, and I know he doesn't want me saying this, but he's, he's one of the hardest working guys I know. Uh, those that fear God will have a Christian work ethic, a strong Christian work ethic. They will outwork, outlove, outperform so many outside of the faith. And this country was built on a Christian work ethic. When you consider our founding fathers, there were a lot of men that were God-fearing men. And in, in the study of this, I'd, I'd gone back through the Lorraine Butner book, and I, that's another book besides Scroll that I'll recommend on the, the uh, Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. There's a chapter in there in particular where he talks about the founding fathers he makes it clear that Calvinism or, or the Reformed faith came to America in the Mayflower. George Bancroft, a great American historian, pronounced the Pilgrim Fathers Calvinists in their faith according to the straightest system. God-fearing God man. And I'll mention a few guys here. John Endicott, which was the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. John Winthrop was the second governor of that colony. Thomas Hooker was the founder of Connecticut. John Davenport, the founder of the New Haven Colony. And, of course, Roger, Roger Williams was the founder of the Rhode Island Colony. They were all staunch Calvinists. They were all God-fearing men. And when I say Calvinists, I, I just have to quote Spurgeon. This uh, biblical Christians. Um, as a matter of fact, the ruling theology throughout this entire colonial period was Calvinism. So, again, his righteousness endures forever. And if we go back to what Eric said and taught in Psalm 111, verse 3, the second part of that verse this was said about God, but now this righteous, his righteousness endures forever is expressed about the man who fears God. When you think about all the saints of old, you go back in church history, you know, 200, 400, 500 years, 500 years, the reformers going all the way back to the church fathers, and you think about how their name is still enduring to this day, only by God's grace. But that is the blessed truth of the man who fears God. His righteousness will endure forever. Godly people leave legacies, as we saw in it with Edwards. They're founded on the rock, not on the sand. And we know that in Matthew 7, that, that passage about our spiritual house, you can build it on the rock or you can build it outside of Christ, which will be the sand. The spiritual house will stand the test of time. We'll get to verse 4, and, and Ed's probably going to cut me off soon. What, what is the time limit? I know people are getting hungry and nodding off back there so yeah anyway so verse 4 <laughs> verse 4 let's read that again light arises in the darkness for the upright he is gracious and compassionate and righteous 
Being a God-fearing man or woman does not exclude one from affliction and even sorrow and despair. And I know we all have gone through these dark times, uh, dark night of the soul. I know the old Puritans called it that. And I know we even we, we think about Spurgeon having uh, great bouts with depression and other men of faith. We definitely know about the book of Job. And Job himself um, described in the word of God, blameless and upright, and yet, yet after Christ, who suffered more than Job in the entire Bible? He was great, greatly tried and came out on the other end of it restored. In times of affliction, it should drive us to our knees in prayer to seek him who is near to the broken heart who saves the crushed in spirit. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. And this is another allusion to Psalm 111. This particularly would be Psalm 111 verse 4b. The Lord being gracious and compassionate. So again, the God-fearing man mirrors his, his God. The man who fears God will be like him. The God-fearing man's goodness flows out to others. And if you think about, uh, if, you, if you want to turn with me to Proverbs 11.25, it says, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. I know a lot of you guys are so generous with either your time or your money, uh, watering others, and that's where the blessing comes from. I can't think of any man here that would come up and say, man, I, you know, I spent time with so-and-so or, you know, I helped someone that was down and the blessings didn't return. The blessings always return. When Christ said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We've experienced, a lot of us here have experienced that firsthand, putting others first as Christ taught us to do. You'll be blessed in your doing. And this is an Old Testament theme as well as a new. We think about Psalm 1, but we also think about James 1.25, where it says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. And there's that word again, abides. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Christ himself in Luke 11, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And this is it. This is unlike anything in the world. This is completely antithetical to the selfish ways that we see in this evil world today. Um, I can't think of a, a, a more selfish time in my lifetime, especially, but just looking through um, history, you, you see, with, along with social media and just the glorification of the modern self, brethren, if you serve the Lord with a humble, loving heart, you will be blessed. I'm going to move along here, guys, to 5 and 6 and read that real quick. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends he will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. You think about Psalm 46, the Lord being our fortress. Our God will sustain you in hard times. His infinite grace is sufficient. And I know some of you here have been shaken. I know we're missing some because of that. Uh, but to a man would agree that without this rock-solid grace, it would be unbearable. Um, praise be to God for his mercy and grace. Again, the righteous will be remembered forever. Uh, Derek Kidner on this passage writes, he says, the man who dares to be generous will be remembered and his good deeds will never lose their value. Our actions and deeds have lasting and eternal consequences. And moving along with seven and eight, um, the ESV, I love this part. Um, it says, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. The NASB, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. 
He's not fearing to their looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. Those who fear God do not fear, do not need fear anything else. God is delighted to answer pleas for increased faith, enabling grace, a steadfast heart, life-altering trust. Again, we go back to chapters 1 through 9 in the Proverbs. The main theme there is the fear of God, it being the beginning of true knowledge and wisdom, and the many blessings that will cascade with that greater understanding. Verse 9, he is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Christians freely give and are big-hearted and in humility count others. Again, they count others more significant than themselves. Christ himself, better to give than to receive. This is another trait completely antithetical to the world. This is a huge character trait for the Christian as any. Humble, large, giving hearts. This, this horn, his horn will be exalted in honor. You think about it. Um, in Old Testament times, basically the, the symbol of an animal's strength was his horn. So now this is going to apply figuratively for the, for the God-free man. In Psalm 75, verse 10, it says, All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. And I think of many verses where God lifts up the humble. This humble giving servant of Christ will be honored, brethren. And we can't think but help of God. I'm sorry, we can't help but think of Christ in the Beatitudes, exhorting us to do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart religion. He wants the whole heart. Brethren, I appreciate you bearing with me patiently today. Uh, it's the first time I've ever done anything like this. And it's, it's a blessing. It's one thing being in a small group setting with 12 or 10 or 12 guys and, and ladies uh, facilitating a Bible study. It's quite another thing being in the pulpit. I don't take this lightly. I have great respect for those that have filled this pulpit. Um, we made it to the last verse. It's, it's rather succinct. It's only one verse, but it describes the wicked. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. You think about that. This psalm has been nine verses of the blessed blessednesses of the God-fearing man, the man who loves God's word and obeys God's word, and one verse dedicated to the wicked. How futile, how bitter, how fruitless, how selfish, and how vain a life. Their best life is now in this fleeting world. They have no hope. Eternity looms, and the wicked will perish in, in eternity. Our lives and what we submit to, whether being a slave to sin or a slave, servant and slave of God, have tremendous consequences. And I'll, I'll put the application like Ed did. Do you fear God? Is he your all in all? Is Christ precious to you? Is the word of God living and active, as it describes in Hebrews 4? Do you hunger and thirst for the living waters? If not, seek him. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. I pray this resonates and makes you think dip deeply today and this evening, again, going back to the one that just kind of coasts through life. I was that man for 47 years. I profess Christ and, and hey, o obedience, the, 
salvation, great, but the lordship, I'm gonna, that's on my terms. And guess what? The, the Lord broke me big time. And as he's broken any believer here, Again, I pray this resonates. It makes you think deeply today and this evening. And again, first time I've done this, but I'm preaching to myself more than anyone here. Again, with the Bible study, I was, I chose that topic because I was the most prideful man needing that and, uh, and still am to many degrees. To examine ourselves, as Paul rightly says, examine ourselves, our souls, our hearts, our minds, our minds, are we his have we given him our whole heart? Do we delight in his ways? Going back to verse 1. And I'll, I'll, it's unbelievable we're going to wrap up on time, looks like. I will quote Charles Spurgeon. My goal, I told Sean Hang, I said, in this teaching, I will not quote Charles Spurgeon once, but I can't help but do it. And I love him. I'm only saying that because I didn't want to just rely on some of these old saints, but he, uh, he has a great commentary on the Psalms as well. But anyway, he wraps up this Psalm 112 in an eloquent way. He summarized this God-fearing man. He says, holiness is his happiness. Devotion is his delight, and truth is his treasure. The application, it should motivate us to live a life which fears and honors the Lord, walking in obedience to his word, enjoying and cherishing his blessings, and helping others, especially to those of the household of faith. I see that weekly, men men helping, women helping other believers. Obviously, we, we want to shine and be salt and light to the unbelieving world as well. Walking in obedience to his word, enjoying and cherishing those blessings and helping others, especially those, again, of the household of faith. For the Christian, it is our best life now and for the time to come. It is the most solid life built on the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, we come to you. We offer you praise again. This psalm is a good reminder. Any blessing, any good thing comes from above. Every good and perfect gift is from you, Lord. What do we have that we did not receive from your loving hand, from your providence, from your sovereignty? We offer you praise. We Offer you thanks for your son, your salvation, your perfect plan of redemption. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's hard to get your mind wrapped around such a perfect plan, a, a foolproof plan, a plan for the, the God-fearing man. And, Lord, please bless uh, our travels today. Keep us safe coming and going. And uh, we thank you for being here with us this morning in this uh, couple of hours of prayer and worship and songs. We we, again, we love you, Lord. You are our strength. You are our rock, our bedrock foundation. In Jesus' name, amen.